This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. Uh, we're a little bit late on this one, but this is going to be our Thanksgiving episode, hence my traditional holiday dress of a bathrobe and a beanie. Uh, so... <laughs> Today, in honor of Thanksgiving, we're going to go over what we're thankful for in magic, both, you know, seriously, ironically, uh, what some of our good memories are, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, we'll end on picks as always. So I thought this is going to be a very oddly positive video from me. So buckle in for this one. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the idea because a lot of people talk about magical Christmas land in terms of the game, what they'd like to see, how things play out. Nobody really kind of talks about magical or yeah, magical Thanksgiving land, you know. Um, so it's interesting to look back at the year or set of years, what have you, and discuss what you enjoy about the game. Uh, I took a look back at the the last year and and came up with a, a couple of things, and one of the things I like is this is a year. It's more like two or two and a half. I can't remember when it started. Of Watsy just pushing the envelope with card design space and got us out of the rut of these kind of middle years where everything was just mid range and boring. When they don't push design space, that's how you wind up with like five years of green black X as the best deck. And when you push design space, that's when you wind up banning cards. And I would rather have them ban cards than play against Siege Rhino for four years. So Siege Rhino didn't do anything wrong. No, right, it was right. his pals Gideon and, like, Thoughtseize that really just kind of took it home. But, right. uh, you know, Oko into Uro into Omnath, and let's not forget about the companion, companion mechanic. These were all very pushed designs for one reason or another. And, yeah, we're kind of in, like, this new world order when it comes to the color pie and what's going to be powerful now when we've been blue-green X for a while compared to black-green X for a while. And I think that's fine overall because it means R&D is still doing their job to some degree. Yeah, they might not be testing the way we like or they may not clock as many hours as we expect so weird things like this happen, but it's still more enjoyable than those mid those middling years. Um, and I do understand <clears throat> the problem with like you buy into paper and it gets banned out from underneath you and now you're just looking at zeros you know those cards yeah. that did have dollars dollar values attached to them have zeros and especially if you haven't played them enough to make your money back or rec or recur some kind of the roi on those it, it, it is a huge feel bad for bannings like I, I do get that I, I really do i just like the idea that they push companions i think a little more than anything else because it was a brand new keyword and i've maintained from the beginning that companion yeah. as a keyword not the problem the companion abilities themselves, the problem. And you can kind of see that in uh, Yorion. Yorion is basically the surviving soul companion, soul surviving companion out of, the, out of the bunch. And Yorion is so powerful, it's being played in death and taxes in Legacy. Like, they're just calling it noodle taxes. And it just flickers out all your important permanents and allows you to reset the board. It's all, it's all over historic pioneer modern Dumb. it's everywhere and that card is going to be powerful no matter what because of the abilities luris shows up to some degree as well because luris is a very powerful card regardless of the fact that you have to pay three to get the first copy out of your sideboard right uh yeah. zerda 
the the Firefox extremely good in in EDH solely unplayable now in Legacy because the companion uh, companion mechanic was nerfed and then you look at the rest you know Garuda combo survived because only because the there was no companion tax yet and the card was really good but the moment you taxed it it fell off because the ability itself not terribly good if you have to pay like eight or whatever it is for that card as a whole it's too slow but the mechanic yeah. is ripe for actual like reintroduction <clears throat> later on and some amendments to what actually happens with these cards instead of being so overtly powerful to begin with and i like that i i like that they experiment and so you know that for 2020 for better or worse show that watsy still willing to push the envelope in yeah. terms of development and that's something i enjoy and i'm <clears throat> thankful for because this game would stagnate and wither away if it was just you know cons to uh return to return to rav again like if that was all we got all the time people would just bail from this game i mean it, it's they always talk about having the rock paper scissors meta right you have mid-range you have aggro and you have control mm -hmm. and that's what you want and i will say prior to war of the spark we had a really good time where that was actually happening and it was incredible um haven't really got that since unfortunately but yeah they got it right for a period and then you know that's better than it was like you said during the cons meadow when it was just well it's getting better it's getting better again. Yeah, were you playing Abzad mid-range or blue-black control? Because that's all you could play at that point. Like, yeah, that was ridiculous. <clears throat> so, for me, one of the things I am most thankful for, uh, and I'm going to get cheesy real quick and then move on to the real reason, is obviously my co-host, everything he does is great. But something I'm really thankful for myself, and I'm going to echo Efro here, uh, The Gathering. I... Just met up with a friend last night, actually, who was coming to pick up a collection, and we just reminisced about working events together, what it was like behind a booth, some of our favorite interactions. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I met you at an event. Yeah. Uh, it, it was just, that's, that's one of the things that I'm most thankful for uh, with this game, is that it has allowed me to travel, make some really good friends that I've had for most of my life. Yep. Uh, you know, officiated weddings for them. They've been groomsmen or bridesmaids for me like it's it's been great and i i am really thankful that wizards of the coast has allowed something like that to exist and has been able to bring this like nerd culture into the mainstream as much as DD is a mainstream right now i don't think that happens without magic the gathering but that's in magic or magic adjacent one of the things i'm most grateful for yeah with magic and the fact that at least for a time, we had large in-person events. Who knows if that will ever come back again? Yeah, and a lot of people are kind of feeling the same way. Like you can play Magic, but it's not the <clears> same <throat> without the gathering. It's 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 just not playing uh, digitally gets you your fill for enjoyment of the game itself, but the aspect of coming together with people is just not fulfilled. And no matter how you want to try and close that gap with spell table or uh, playing over Zoom, etc. It's just not quite the same as traveling to an event with people and the kind of circus that you know comes with it. You're not yeah. you're not meeting new people, making new friends. Uh, what was the what was that tagline? 
travel the world, play, whatever. Travel the world. Oh man, that's gonna drive me crazy. Yeah, it, it was something super like low budget and cheesy. It was like an intern yeah. kind of creation that just stuck for a while. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that that's definitely a, a big one for a lot of people, and I think those first few events once we're able to come back to it are going to be some of the biggest and hopefully Watsi, you know, prepares accordingly. If, if we're able to, you know, the U S is able to come out of this pandemic in the spring, if Watsi pushes their first event off into the summer and starts it with a bang, like a, an actual Vegas, Vegas, then that probably would not be the worst idea ever. Yeah. Know, where they actually, support the game come out with a bang and support yeah, it and or, say hey look we missed you guys come back yeah yep exactly um i'm gonna stick with uh playing the game itself again and uh segue from my comment about digital play and discuss the fact that wasi's dedicated resources to their digital card game it's not where i want it to be at all it's miles away i don't think it's ready for mobile but if they didn't support arena <laughs> like they have if they supported it like Modo this is again would have been another terrible application to play Magic on and would have nobody would have taken to it and the game again would have stagnated and stalled during the pandemic but at least you know this is not something they could predict they just with in regards to the pandemic they got lucky with this and the uh, yeah the they, they hit it the, the absolute right time. You came out of beta at the right time. You marketed at the right time. And people are just able to move on and start playing there. And the experience of playing on Arena at this point is so much better than Moto that you're able to capture a new audience. It might not be the way you want to because you're not able to do these big events like you were prior, like at, at PAX East and stuff like that. Yeah. But at least you can continue to have these large events all streamed in from around the world and it does kind of bring together the idea that you can be anyone anywhere and play this game and you look at areas that are traditionally underserved in regards to physical play uh south america uh africa and uh most of like mainland asia people are now able to play in these events from those locations without having to travel it, it gives them such a great way to join in and play and kind of come back to a game that left them behind so long ago it just takes the time to get there and grind and nobody nobody's sure how to do what in regards to organized play because that's still a kerfluffle but the fact is there's an application built in a modern framework that serves this game in a playable and enjoyable capacity will it get to where it needs to be to be on mobile eventually sure the stack will work at some point I can guarantee it. Will it be as enjoyable as paper? Probably not. It'll probably just be a gap filler for a lot of people, unless Watsi just continues to push all uh, tournaments through Arena and Rivals becomes the pro player tour, like, officially. Yeah. But the fact that <clears throat> Arena is so much better than Moto is something I'm incredibly just give thankful us legacy, for. please. Please give us legacy. Look, they can handle oh. power and duels on arena, but 
I don't even know if there's a single card with the storm keyword. And really, that's my barometer for whether or not a magic application is ready to... Can it handle storm? Yeah, it is ready to handle the <laughs> yeah. full game is can it handle storm? And like storm's yeah. not the most unintuitive thing. It's just a spell tracker and then something that just replicates. And yeah, it's difficult, but that means you, you're you now putting in the time to get to the minutia of the way a lot of things work. And... <clears throat> stack and where you want to interact and yeah, yeah and a lot of people forget that when uh moto came about it wasn't complete and i don't mean in the sense that it was missing sets i mean that sets were missing cards because yeah. they didn't have the time the ability or the desire to want to code some of these there's a card in tempest i think i forgot what it was that wasn't added for like six masters collections or something like that because they're yeah. just like fuck this don't nobody, need it who cares yeah nobody plays this card we don't need it we don't need to figure this one out. And they just didn't. Then that's something they can do with Arena because they've just been shoehorning things in. Like I said, duels and power are there. You can do it if you want to. It's just not important. Legacy is not a driving factor for that application. I get it. We are dinosaurs. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I've embraced it too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have people I talk to Legacy about, and that's it. And on my segue there, I'm actually thankful for the multitude of formats. Uh, over the last few years, obviously, Modern started to die down. They brought out Pioneer. CEDH really took off, which I am super grateful for because I love that metagame. And I think it's nice to have something that is so diverse in terms of play styles in Magic in general. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the you know, through through no design of wizards, probably nostalgia has played a really good part in maintaining these old formats, like old school, uh, middle school, pre-modern, any of that stuff. Overextended when that was a thing, <clears throat> oh, yeah. and just the way that these formats have evolved, and you know, frontier for a little bit too, that allowed the community to kind of come together and be like, all right, well, let's let's experiment with this and see what formats we can come up with. And I think that's led to a lot of innovation, not just within the play space, but also in game design in general uh, with yeah. other games like Flesh and Blood. I don't know if anyone's played that. That's There's a couple formats that are popular quotes. There's no paper play, so who knows, that some of my friends have tied out where it's almost like a monthly rotation. Okay. And I just think it's nice to have people approach other games in a very you know flexible manner as well. Oh, yeah. And I'm... You know, obviously, financially, it's been great for old school uh, and the reserve list. Mm -hmm. But in general, I just think it's nice that, you know, eternal formats exist. The players are incredibly loyal to whatever formats they're loyal to. And because of that, those formats continue to grow. Yeah. And I think that probably inherent in the product design of a CCG, but nobody's done it better than Magic because they've done it longer than anyone else. So... Yeah, I agree. And a lot of that stuff, too, is kind of player-created, Watsy adopted. Um, Popper and Peasant were not Watsy-branded yeah. formats for the longest time. They were just things to do on Moto, um, yep. Wizards Tower, or Battle Box. They're very similar, but I great. don't think yeah. they're the same. It's just like you pick a set, and like you just have a bunch of cards from the set, mm -hmm. and you essentially play like five-color magic off the, the pile. Um you know, tiny leaders, things like this. It's all just like community-led uh, activities and like desire for a new format. Like, hey, we're tired of just playing Magic the standard way. It, you know, people played Emperor, 
for how they want to do multiplayer. There was like Star. Uh, that, yep, exactly. That was the one I was going to get to. If you want to know about that, I think you could like tweet at BDM and he'll tell you everything you need to know about yeah. that format or that way to play the game. And it's just this magic is this weird like Honda Civic of CCGs where you can do almost anything with it because it ga- gives you such a great foundation to build off of. Like you can't do a lot of this in Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon. It's just it's nigh impossible because how the games are kind of built to be very much in that one-on-one, you know, aspect. Framework. Yeah, yeah. and that's not really extendable to a game with more than two people at a time. It's it's kind of interesting like that, and it's not something you really think about at any given time because you read the rules for Magic, and it's just heads up, 1v1. The fluff is all about, you know, Urza and Misha just going at it. It's the brothers' war. It's them. It's their, yeah. them fighting. That's who you are. Um, and it was never meant to be extended, yet it is, because the framework for the game was just so open and amenable to that. It's kind of remarkable, like you said, when you look at other CCGs, how this just doesn't really happen elsewhere yeah um like there's a lot more than i'm thankful for in regards to the game you know my my playing of this spans the last 20 yeah it's 2020 right now i started playing probably around 2000 somewhere we're talking about this like nemesis era yeah you know i've seen i've seen a lot come and go and i think for me, it's always like short term what I like about the game because the game's always changing and, and always evolving. But what is always there and what I always enjoy are the people I've met along the way and the events that I've been to and remember. Like, I remember the M10 pre release. Um, it was the. I never wanted to buy a playmat. I always wanted to win a playmat, but that yeah. I broke down and I bought the Dragon Skull Summit art playmat and had it altered there with like this cool rock squid and dragon. Like I, re- I remember that. Nice. You know, um, I remember uh, playing in like Goblins vs. Dredge in Legacy for a pack of revised and opening demonic hordes at the end. Like, <laughs> it. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, it was. We decided to just. It was me and a buddy, and like yeah. I think he had them. I was on goblins. He was on dredge, and I think he had the majority of my cards. Like he needed the rest of dredge, so we were like, we we um, we decided to split and then just played best of seven and and said fuck it around game three and just cracked the pack. Yeah. Nice. Like, it it's stuff like that. It, it really is the the that tagline that we're trying to remember. It's like see the world play magic, and like it really does yeah. live up to that. And being able to have this game in our lives that offers such a unique experience compared to other games, such a unique play style, uh, the ability to meet people and enjoy their company and the game with them in a different way than you would others is incredible. Like working Konami events for Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, working YGSs, it, like, it's similar, but it's wildly different. It's the same thing going to, like, anime conventions as a vendor. It's like, you go to an anime convention not to really meet people and hang out unless you know people that are there already, that are, like, in attendance, yeah. or, or they're, like, running stuff for you. You go there because the event is great as a vendor. It's an amazing event to actually, like, buy and sell at compared to uh, a Magic Fest. Yeah. Magic Fest are just almost purely social events that happen to have a large scale card tournament at it you can't even compare it to like chess which the majority of this game was built off of you know our elo system was built off of chess 
our uh, tournament software and pairings built off of chess, and I believe all the tiebreaker math is also taken from chess. It's just you you can't you, you can't compare what this game is and what this game does to anything else of its ilk. Maybe maybe bridge because people are super adamant about that game and people all over the world of all age groups play that game and travel to go play like bridge uh palo uh he was a bridge player before yeah. he was a magic player on my way to uh, magic fest <clears throat> toronto the last one they had i was seated next to somebody who was going to like the bridge world whatever it was at the same event hall in toronto that might be, might be the only other one, unless Munchkin is as big as I think it is still. But I don't think there's a world tour for Munchkin. Like, no. Poker's super adamant, but those circles are tight knit because that involves money and gambling, and you know there, there's hard yeah. feelings here and there. Magic, yeah, sure. When you get to the top echelons, there's still a little bit of angle shooting and gambling in that regard. And we've all read the articles about who scoops to whom and when. But it just provides this unique experience, and I don't know. To, to me, it's like the, my foundation of thankfulness is cool. The game's here, where I can now build yeah. one of my longest-running hobbies that's created such great memories for me and given me such great times over the years. I, <clears throat> Speaking of great memories and great time over the years, I am thankful that despite their best efforts, Wizards hasn't killed magic yet. That's Again, the... intentional or not, they haven't managed to fuck it up bad enough that it's dead. No. Somehow. Who knew? Yeah. Uh, I still think, you know, about four years at this point, but I hope I'm wrong because, uh, you know, like you said, they've been pushing design and it's been reasonable-ish yeah. recently outside of Uro, Oko, and Astrolabe, but those were all 2019 cards. 2020 has been relatively okay-ish. Although I guess Uro was the beginning of this year. Ah, barely counts. That was before Rome. No, no. Uh, the beginning, Uro wasn't There was Beyond Death? That was last September, my guy. Oh, yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. Huh. There we go then. I... So that was all 2019. Oh, no. There was Beyond Death was January 24. Of 2020? Yeah. Damn, I thought it was September. Look, the weather here is the same. Starting Zendikar Rising was September of okay. this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, okay. so I I think the past few sets have been reasonable. I like the direction that that's going because yeah. if it continues like that, maybe they won't kill it somehow. Yeah, look, we're not whiz kids over maybe here. Wrong. Yeah, I I don't think there's a shelf life on this game. Uh, it It's shuttered when Hasbro says it's shuttered. Uh, yeah, and if they do wind up splitting the product digital versus physical, I think that's fine because you can have the tournament scene move to digital, and Watson can come up with uh, a new business model in regards to selling paper product. It's really it's difficult, yes, because now you have to ask your player base to really dedicate, and you're going to lose a lot of people that way. But at the same yeah. time, the people that are playing in paper now are going to be the pa the people that'll continue playing paper, and those are going to be your EDH players and your kitchen table players, your legacy players, your vintage players, people who are already so in modern too, people who are already <laughs> so entrenched with this game that they have everything they need. Yeah, they don't need to buy that much more, and it might just be easier for them to buy singles direct from Watsi, or buy like I I've purported before the idea of a juiced product where you take out all the bullshit draft cards and you just have good cards left. 
and you no longer draft Secret in layers. person. Yeah, effectively. You you no longer worry about draft in person. It's all handled digitally. Super easy. You can do it wherever you want. And all your Magic Fests and your... Uh, you know, maybe a Magic Fest change to something else. It's just a bunch of side events and like that kind of circus. Your Mythic Championships just all move to digital and you support any and all formats you want on Arena because in my mind, that's the end goal. And at that point, you actually start... You can do what you want in regards to your digital packs. If you want to be like Pokemon yeah. and put uh, codes in your packs for redemption online, by all means, you can do that. Please. It's been it's worked for Nintendo for forever. I love it and I hate it. Anime shows are awesome. If we have Pokemon boosters that we need to crack for singles for display, those codes go in the case for a dollar a piece and people will buy them. It's just like gravy in your packs because now you can play digitally. You don't have to worry about spending money in two locations. Yep. It, it's a lesson to be learned. Watsy failed with that game once, and Nintendo has succeeded where Watsy failed. You know, maybe it's time Watsy looks the other way in that regard. But I maintain there's a way to to keep paper alongside a, digi a digital platform if they want to push digital. They just have to, like I said, change the business model a bit. And it's difficult, and you're going to have to ask your players to really kind of accept and accommodate that. But if your paper product is more reasonable than it is now for the players that are already entrenched and don't give a shit about drafting in person, then who cares? It'll be fine. Yeah. And I think it's a way to go. But I think it'll be interesting to see how this goes next year if we're thankful for the same things. Yeah. Uh, I think shows will be one of the biggest differences that we'll see, but I digress. Oh, yeah. I, I, <clears throat> dude, I was talking to, my, to one of my guys last week um, because Vermont is locked down. We're in our second lockdown. We're not going to be able to come out until... 2021 basically and you know he, he's stuck in the middle of fucking nowhere like so i asked her like are you gonna sneak up here and see your family and he was like nah i've been down here this entire time we're finally in an actual quarantine i was gonna try and come back up in october but you know life got in the way i really fucking miss anime shows yeah <laughs> uh, like unsolicited yeah. and i was like you and me both buddy the six hour work day to just like make infinite oh man if you like you know we're here to give you some inside baseball for vendor information and like the inside track is anime shows are amazing compared to everything else no matter oh. what you take away from this if you have the ability to vend an anime show do it yeah you you can pay dirt you can sell anything mm-hmm anything yeah. the only problem is unlike magic fest anime shows have a wait list forever long uh, yeah for tables you have to basically sit on that wait list and like work your way up the ladder as people drop out over the years so if you ever think you're going to vend an anime show start applying now uh, like anime boston for 2021 is frozen with the list of people that were able to get tables for 2020 i assume the rest of them around the world are the same too like, I haven't been to Anime Expo in a while. That's the one I want to, I really want to get back to. But, like, OdaCon, SakuraCon, OhioCon, like, those are all going to be insane next year. Especially with the way Pokemon's booming. Yeah. Gen Con had the option to refund and go back or keep your booth and not get a refund. So, they they were a little bit of both. Yeah. But Yeah, and yeah. You, you take the ability to go back to Gen Con every time, too. Like, Gen Con Origins, you always re-up on. Always, always, yeah. always. Even if you're international, re-up. You still do it. Yeah. But... Thanksgiving. Yep. You ready for picks? I am. All right, I'm going to steal this first pick away from you. Okay. So, for me, it 
I've come back around on this card. I started, stopped paying attention. I didn't believe it was going anywhere. And then all of a sudden people started looking to buy Blatant Thievery. So Blatant Thievery, old card from Onslaught. Four triple blue sorcery for each opponent. Gain control of target permanent. Permanent that player controls. You know, land, planeswalker, whatever you want. That card was uh, awesome. You can see in the stocks graph. I left it up for the, the entire lifespan that stocks has. It peaked at six. It came back down. It's kind of, and we're now seeing it come back around. It was reprinted in Commander 2015. And that really big trough that we see, I'll bring up the stocks graph yep. again, around Ixalan is because it was in the Explorer of uh, Ixalan's pack. So this is a card that I forever was just an EDH card because when the format started, things were big and goofy and slow. And as more people got into the format, things got more refined, more resources came out. Nobody really cared about bribery. Uh, sorry, blatant thievery anymore. They cared about yeah. bribery and they care about treachery, which do a little less and a little more at the same time. You know, bribery allows you to go through your opponent's library, treachery untaps your lands, right? So it's a little bit better overall than blatant thievery. So what's going on with blatant thievery? Well, taking a look at wreck kind of gives us what we need here. And we're seeing that it goes in a lot of standard. Uh, commanders that just kind of play this longer game that are prepared to get to the mid to late game. But in the meantime, what's coming up are some of the pirate generals. And a lot of the cards beginning to associate with this are more pirate cards. And like, look, everybody loves some good booty. That's all I got to say here. And pirates actually have a number of ways to ramp this card out a lot faster than you would expect with things like Dockside uh, Extortionist. And I had another card in here. Uh, Brass's Bounty. That's the one. Right? Where you just make a bunch of treasures and you cast this ahead of curve. And it's weird to think that this is just kind of a thematic card for what pirates do, but that's kind of the the best connection you can really make right now. As a lady age. Yeah, you look at all the pirates that this is associated with, the majority of the things they do is steal cards from the top of your library or like peer into your opponent's hands and things like that. Except Atali. Atali, the primal storage, the dinosaur from Ixalan, flips cards off the top of everybody's library, and hey, if you hit Blatant Thievery, cool. You, you get to cash your own Blatant Thievery for cheap. Uh, but in, Blatant Thievery is now kind of surpassing the mark for, well, this is this mid to late game card, and it's being pushed up. Smothering Tithe, hell of a card. That allows yeah. you to pump out Blatant Thievery real early. And then we just have just, you know, standard ramp otherwise. We, we, ramp spells keep getting made. The, the ramp colors, color combination generally includes blue. And if you're going to play a longer, a little more dirtly game, this is a card you can put in there, and you can copy it with Riku, uh, fork it, twin cast it, whatever you need to, just kind of take advantage of it but you can cast it a lot sooner now than you have been able to. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting place. And then buried deep down, let me find this card because I totally forgot about it. Actually, I'll just type the name in together. Uh, Kaza Royal Chaser. I started seeing a lot of weird synergies as I was looking through this. And I think the reason we're going to see a pop, and I'll discuss this in my timeline, is because of the uh, party mechanic. So Kaza Royal yep. Chaser, I just got it up from Gatherer, right? Tap, the next instant or sorcery you spell, 
The spell you cast this turn costs X less. The cast where X is the number of wizards you control is this ability resolves, right? So I have a note here like yay wizard tribal, but it's also kind of the, the party aspect of things where wizards fit in your party. And so thus by extension, Cause of Royal Chaser is kind of this building block for where we might be going with the next year's worth of magic. So there's already interest. We know we're getting more wizards. So this is yet another card that we're going to try and get out ahead of. Now, uh, timeline on this is really interesting. Uh, Card Kingdom's buy price has been the same all weekend. They are buying more copies now than they were last week. The TCG market is holding pretty steady. The number of copies uh, that are LP or better have dropped from 64 to 60, but there is immediate arbitrage opportunity. Card Kingdom is paying more than a number of TCG player listings, or, or at least they were. It looks like the lowest now is... 225 with 78 cent shipping but there are a handful of vendors that still only have uh copies for three dollars and change that have more than four so as this card continues to rise and both market and average go up buy lists are starting to pick up on this because this is a card that's just finally hit demand and it's low population to begin with everything's going to move if you're able to buy in now around this 3 350 mark then there's money to be made immediately if you're able to buy in under five so between 450 and five i believe the profit is uh is going to start to come in around uh strixhaven that's when we get the rest of the wizards yeah that's that's where it'll start from strixhaven we go to D D, and then that's really uh, you know it right there so that is that's the April set and the the summer set, I believe. Yeah. Like January, April, July-ish, right? So we're looking at six months out is if you can get in between uh, 350 and 5, where you'll actually begin to see real numbers. If you want to buy and flip this immediately in TCG Player, you absolutely could. You could buy quantity now and just relist it on TCG Player, and you should start seeing sales pretty quickly because this is, like I said, has just been churning over the weekend. People are starting to move in on uh, Blatant Thievery. The synergies are here, and unless we get another reprint of quantity, this is going to be a card that just slowly attrition's just like bribery. It'll it'll be gone, and I do not think another commander printing is quantity. No, and I think especially you know in, in a normal circumstance, maybe, certainly not with the rate print runs have been going lately. No, uh, like. You know, I mean, looking at the full art compared to the regular, I mean, it's 10 cents different. Mm -hmm. I don't really think there's any downside here no. on any of it. So I, I think this is really solid. Yeah. Uh, of note, there's only 21 listings for the extended art foil, and they very quickly reach $5 from $1. Wait, so, for, for what card? Uh, for Kaza, sorry. Oh, oh yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, Kaz, yeah. Kaz is an interesting synergy card. If you want to look at the wizards thing, absolutely, and get ahead of that. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No. no yeah. Sorry. That blatant is also good because, as you touched on, I, having this kind of thematic connection is one of those weirdly valuable things that a card can have, almost more than a tribal connection, mm -hmm. because tribes can come and go. Sometimes Elvis is good. Sometimes it's not. Whereas casual players running thematic decks. Yes. Is always popular. Yeah. Thievery will always be popular as long as there's pirates and magic. Thanks, Ixalan, for making that a thing that people thought about in the game. Yeah. Uh, 
it's just how it is. Yeah, the, the more I looked into this, it moved from cute to real a lot faster, and it took a lot of time to really suss out, like, okay, why are all these pirates here? What's going on? Just because Beckett Brass doesn't really read as the kind of card that would support blatant thievery. But as you begin reading what all the pirates do, you're like, oh, this is just Mr. Steal Your Girl okay. dot deck. Like, yeah. Dread Pirate Roberts. It's true. As you wish. All right. Mine is something that I, we in the Cabal were involved in a couple of years ago, and it's highlighting the cyclical nature of the reserve list. I am picking Pendrel Mists from Weatherlight. It is a blue enchantment that every creature now has tabernacle. So why am I picking this? Well, we're currently on a downward trend. And if you bring up the stocks graph, you'll see that way, way, way back in the day, this card was about $1.40 in 2016. And then something happens and it spikes up to $5. It starts a gradual downward trend for about a year and a half. And then in 2018, it goes from 435 to $30 overnight and has been gradually ticking down since until this past fall, about a year and a half later, when we saw a little bit of a surge in price going along with the reserveless spike. And now we're back on the downward trend. So why am I picking this then? Because worst case scenario, this is a place to park your money for about a year and a half and then buy list for a profit. Yep. It's pretty simple. It it happens like clockwork every year and a half, seemingly, like 15 to 19 months. Goes back up, and every time the floor has gotten a little bit higher. So it's something that I think timeline-wise, yeah, you're looking at a little bit longer. You're looking at, again, you know, 14, 19 months, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. But I think getting in at like $5, $6, you can trade it out at 7 Great. Do it all day long that's fine and i think that there's no way you can lose because one it's a reserve list two it actually sees a decent amount of edh play three the number of quantities or the number the quantity available on tcg player has gradually been dropping over the last three months while the price has been declining as well so it went from between LP near Mint, we were at about 84, and we're down to 62 listings now. So that's another sign that prices are going to correct in an upward trajectory. Maybe a little bit sooner, maybe not. Yep. I think that this may be, however, one of those cards where courtesy of a couple of spikes, it actually has made its way into decks and has made its way into collections that are probably not going anywhere. So I think that this, in terms of buy-in, probably looking at about the next two months tops that I would want to get in and sell out. You'd be looking at again about, you know, 14, 19 months, somewhere in there. But, and I'm sure you remember when it hit its peak in 2018, I mean, there were buy lists available for $15. Oh yeah. Yeah. Immediately. And it was just an incredibly good time to just have a ton of this card Let's laying go. around that previously had been $5 because you were buy listing for a triple up which seems pretty good yep yeah so this was a card that's uh not easy to f not difficult to to force because yeah. it it's good like and not in the way that edh rex shows like rex shows low adoption 
Yeah. But there's still adoption, and the ado- and what we're seeing is like uh, Grand Arbiter, Hannah, ships, Captain, like these t- uh, like taxing style decks that just want to be a pain in the ass. It, it doesn't have to be ad- adopted by that. Th- this is definitely a playable card uh, elsewhere. I, I when we discussed this pick, and I thought we'd picked it earlier, but only because we've talked about it for so long. This is something that actually... This is a card that followed us. So this came out of yep. not the the Cabal. There was just a number of us that made a move on this when it was uh, the MTG Finance yeah. the subreddit, when it was their Discord. Yeah. There are a number of people that are still in there that moved on this card. This was one of the first ones where we were just like, all right, you know, we have a little bit Let's of capital. Let's yeah. fire our lasers and see what happens. And it was one of our first experiments at trying to move the needle on a reserveless card and it worked and it's an important lesson to learn and we've talked about this before with things like pyramids like you can force this absolutely but what you really want is either a sustained price or this kind of cyclical nature where if you force a card that you're unsure of you want it to reap you want it to feel safe that it drops and comes back and the drop will never be lower should never be lower than your buy-in point as you mentioned. So it's stepwise, but also cyclical. And it's a good example of why parking your money in the reserve list is never a bad decision because even some of the lowest hanging fruit will see an uptick. And as long as you're paying attention to what you have, you can get out at a profit because it just keeps coming around. Like you said, somewhere in that 15 to 19 month gap, or not gap, uh, 15 to 19 month marker, it just comes back around and it's going to spike again and you just need to be prepared for it. Start preparing like a month early. Just keep your eyes on it and then you can get out. Somebody else will buy in and pick up your position and the world keeps turning. And it's not the stock's equivalent of, you know, a rope, but it's kind of as close as you're going to get to like dividends. Where you just sit on it for long enough, you cash out because it just roped for you essentially you it then you just gather your dividends and move it somewhere else hopefully rolling up into something larger and this is slower than just trying to churn stock immediately and it's another strategy to mtg finance as a whole and this kind of slow burn is more what you and i seem to be about than like some other people and there's nothing wrong with that this is just a strategy we choose because this is the lifestyle we live and for us it works uh the best you know it it doesn't mean we have to keep up on everything every day we don't have to worry about shipping everything super quickly we don't have to worry about tcg player direct or uh, syp you know their their additional programs you know we don't have to worry about about anything we just sit on it and then one big old buy list junk either in person or in the mail and roll up yep and i think that's you know it this this also at one point was something that we kind of considered was like slumming it. Yeah. That getting like these penny reserveless cards or these like dollar two dollar reserveless cards is like, well, you know, I and I mean I've said you know I'm happy to slumlord all day long. Yeah, your grim feast over reserveless cards. Yeah. Uh, and I I think that that's this is one of the few areas where that is viable is specifically with the reserve list where slumming your penny specs is worth it because as you can see you know eventually they're going to be worth money yes reserve list well maybe not money but you'll never be out less than what you paid yeah so i think it's nice to periodically 
revisit that with evidence such as pendril mists rather than just saying, hey, this happens every time. So exactly. here you go, guys. This is your evidence. Yep, exactly. And this also provides uh, evidence to the fact that you don't have to continue to read cards and look back at the reserve list, reserve list and say, what on the reserve list is going to spike because of this? Nothing spiked yeah. pendril mists. Nothing new spiked pendril mists, unlike second chance and some other odds and ends that actually synergize yeah. well. No, pendril mist is just a card on its own. And it's the reserve list and the cyclical nature of the reserve list that yeah. makes it a good long-term pick. So I'm happy with it. It's definitely a lesson, and that's what we're here for. Yep. So if you're ready to take your bathrobe upstairs, I think we can call it for the week. <laughs> All righty. We are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, YouTube, uh, you can find the podcast on uh, Audible, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And I am on Twitter at Halt I am Reptar. I am at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you guys next week.